You're listening to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. Welcome to the Living a Life Unleashed podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Bishop. Thanks for tuning in. I'm excited about today's episode because we're going to talk about a topic that I have often wrestled with, and that is the topic of desire. Is it okay to desire? How do I know I have the right desires? And what do I do with unmet desires? If you are new to this podcast, a special welcome to you. I'm glad that you're hanging out with us because really the goal of this podcast is to equip you to live a life that is unhindered and unleashed. And it's my hope that something you hear compels you to take action, to play full out and live fully into who you were created to be. And hey, when you listen, make sure you leave comments. Would love to hear any feedback that you have. Well, on my show today, my guest is Jen Pollock-Michelle, and she is the author of the book, Teach Us to Want, Longing, Ambition, and the Life of Faith. Jen is a speaker and writer and has authored her second book, Keeping Place, Reflections on the Meaning of Home. She is also a contributor to the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today, and Jen and her husband and five kiddos live in Toronto. Well, Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. So you just recently moved. We were bebopping back and forth, figuring out a time to chat via Skype. And you said you, you're still in Toronto, but you recently moved, what, in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we actually moved just a little bit over a week ago. So I'm actually sitting in my dining room, and I do not see a box <laughs> Okay, so did in that... front of me, which is really good. <laughs> I think this, this might be the only space there's not a box. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you know, this is a little hidden secret of some podcast tapings, but I'm sitting in my closet, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so excited to have you on the show. We have a mutual friend as well, uh, Melissa, and we were just talking earlier that, um, yeah, it's kind of not even six degrees of separation these days. Maybe it's maybe one or two. But I was mm-hmm. I was so excited to get your book, and I, I want to talk about that, obviously, in, in just a minute. But before we do that, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I live in Toronto, as you said, um, which doesn't make me Canadian, though. We moved to Toronto from Chicago, actually, in 2011. And, um, of course, we came thinking two or three years, and we are probably going to stay a lot longer than that. It's already been six. We just recently bought a house. Um, so I have teenagers. I have three teenagers, and I also have twin boys that are nine. Um, so that kind of keeps me busy. But, yeah, I write, and I speak, and that's fun. And, you know, one thing that I think I really appreciate others knowing about me is just my involvement with my local church is really important to me. And so I'm a member of Grace Toronto Church here in Toronto, which is just a wonderful congregation and a super great community. And yeah, I'm excited to be talking to you today, Lisa. So three teenagers. God bless you, girlfriend. I know. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in in case, you know, anything doesn't sound coherent. It's probably, let's just blame it on the teenagers. <laughs> I just remember what it was like being a teenager. And well, we won't even, we, that, that's a podcast for another day. <laughs> Well, when I first received your book, the title just stopped me dead in my tracks. Teach Mm. us to want. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I've I've never thought about desire or want in that way, that we actually need to be taught to want. I'm I'm curious, what prompted you to write a book on desire and longing? I think for me, it was just a lot of my own confusion about it as a Christian. I have thought... So for so long, I think I had thought desire is just wrong. It's bad. It's 
Um, and, and a lot of that was just my own story. Um, grew up in a Christian family, but had a really prodigal experience in high school and, um, you know, kind of the typical high school rebellious sort of stuff. And when I came out of that and Christ really called me to himself, I really thought it was leaving desire behind. I thought the desire was kind of the bad thing that ignited all of the sin in my life, you know? So if I could just stop wanting, I could be really faithful to Jesus. And and I that doesn't really work, <laughs> I think, as a human being. We can't just stop wanting. Um, and so I was left with this question of, like, how do I wrestle with the really, the, the necessary caution, I guess, that I have to have about desire? Because I had seen it lead to some really dark places. And at the same time, like, the very necessary call to desire. Like, I think... For me, it really came to a head just in my prayer life. I, it was fine to sort of leave off desire everywhere else, but like when it came to prayer, I was like, how do I even pray without wanting, you know? And how do I even pray like the people in the Bible pray without wanting? Because hmm. I mean, I looked at, you know, Abraham and Hannah and Paul and Jesus himself, you know, and I saw desire in the life, in their lives, their prayer lives. And so it sort of left me with this question, how do I, how do I, how do I want as a Christian? And that sort of ended up, yeah, leading to writing a book about it. And it, it's interesting because um, with the publisher, it, we were sort of back and forth like, is this a book about prayer or is this a book about desire? And I think as my husband would often say sort of wryly, yes, <laughs> yes, it's about both. It's both about prayer and it is about desire. And, um, you know, I feel like on the other side of it, I've kind of, I have a better understanding of what that can look like. What can it what can it look like to want well as a Christian? So, let's talk about that because I think as Christians we're often and you mentioned this too, oh, squeamish about desire. And and I have to be mm -hmm. honest, you know, becoming a follower of Christ about 20 years ago, I I have this kind of still thing in me that, you know, it's just it's wrong to desire and make sure it's in God's will. And so I've kind of probably shut some desires down which we'll talk about in a little bit too because I know you mentioned that in your book as well but like what t tell me tell, let's talk a little bit more about that why, why do you think as Christians we're so squeamish about desire I think we're squeamish about it because our culture has it so tragically wrong you know I mean the culture the general culture says you know if you want it it's good go after it you know if you want to kind of renege on your marriage vows and you know have that affair have pursue this other relationship or whatever you want to do the fact that you want it makes it good and I think as Christians we see like the disastrous effects of that sometimes and so we feel like that that can't be right you know and and as we're often apt to do, we just overcorrect. So instead of just saying, instead of saying, huh, let's look at, there's got to be a better way to talk about desire than our culture talks about it. Um, instead of kind of trying to find this, the, the biblical way, we sort of just overcorrect and say, well, desire, it, it really gets misused, so it must just be wrong. And, um, and I think that can be our tendency in a lot of things. And I think there, there is a better way. There's sort of a third way, I guess, if you will. A lot of people can, can think about a third way. It's not that desire is all bad, and it's not that desire is all good either. Because as Christians, I mean, we certainly know that we wake up in the morning with desires that are contrary to God's 
desire for us and for the world. You know, a lot of times I wake up in the morning and I just think, I hope people don't bother me today. Right. <laughs> I hope people don't interrupt me. I hope that this day goes as I've planned it. You know, and I don't wake up necessarily always with the desire to serve people, to be inter interrupted um, in order to love others well, to be disposable <laughs> for God's use. You know, I don't always wake up with those desires. And so I think the Christian life is really about learning to, like you said, as we kind of even talked about the, uh, the title of the book, is leaning, in, leaning toward God and saying, teach me to want as you want. Hmm. So how do you, what are kind of some of your tips or recommendations or how do we know? Because sometimes we have very good desires and, mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't mean that that desire is meant for us. So how do we, you know what I mean? How do we distinguish between what, what should I be desiring as a follower of Christ? What are some, what are some things you would say about that? Yeah, teach us to want really is, of course, people are going to probably recognize that as a play from the Lord's Prayer. You know, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. So the book itself is kind of an exploration of the Lord's Prayer, which I sort of use as a way of kind of framing what holy desire can look like. And you're right, Lisa, like it doesn't answer all of the nitty gritty questions of does God want me to take this job or that job, marry this person or that person, you know, move to this house or that house or stay or not, you know, or go. I don't think it, I, like, I don't want to suggest that I have an easy formula for answering every question about God's will and God's desires for us. But I think like even just looking at the Lord's prayer um, as a framework for holy desire can start to set some things really right for us. So one of the things that I've learned, even like since writing the book, of doing some more research and study, I, I came across um, Kenneth Bailey's. Um, he was he's actually passed away recently, but he um, his exploration of the Lord's Prayer. He talks about this architecture of the Lord's Prayer um, that there, you know, if you open, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, the first three petitions are kind of the petitions, like T H E E. King James English, the petition. So they're, they're Godward petitions. They're, you know, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, and your name be hallowed in the world. And he said that's really important that the the petitions are ahead of the we petitions. So the we petitions being give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and lead us not into temptation. So the fact that the Lord's Prayer kind of orients us first toward God and his purposes in the world sometimes just help us to step outside our desires that are so small and self-focused. You know, like I wake up, like I said, the desires that are most instinctive to me sometimes are desires for my own comfort and convenience and happiness, you know, and then I read the Lord's Prayer, meditate on that, and I I feel like God kind of starts to say to me, look at look at what I'm doing in the world. It's so much bigger than the fact that like you have a happy day or that, you know, you get that parking spot that you want or you get that house that you want or you know you are in that relationship that you want. You know, God's doing so many big things in the world and how can my heart be formed for the desires for his kingdom to come? You know, and sometimes even just in praying that, I find myself letting go of certain things that I thought I had to have or that, that I thought that I wanted. Or I start to see them for what they really were, that they really were more about my own comfort and convenience or my own, the preservation of my own reputation, for example. 
Um, you know, here would be like a really, you know, sometimes it's hard for me, even as a, as, as a Christian, to parse desires that seem very good, mm. but in the end, you realize they're actually more about you than they are about God. So you want to help somebody, for example. And my, my problem is I want to help everybody, you know, and, and I, why I want to help everybody isn't because I'm just such an amazing spirit-filled person. It's because I really want them to think well of me. I want them to walk away thinking that, you know, like if they had to talk about me, they'd promote my name. They'd say that, you know, I was a good person. And I have to lay that down. I have to actually confess that is sin. The Lord's Prayer like teaches me that I my desire to be well thought of isn't God's desire necessarily for me. That he needs to be well thought of, you know, and sometimes that even means that I have to disappoint other people to, to do things that God's calling me to do and to refuse to do the things that he's not calling me to do. So I don't know. Those are just some initial thoughts. It's like we could talk for hours and days. And honestly, I do think that we could spend the rest of our lives just sort of meditating even on the Lord's Prayer. And just to say, God, how do I how do I learn to hallow your name in the world? How do I learn to care less that my reputation be protected? How do I learn to care that your kingdom come and that your kingdom means that, you know, poor people are fed and Jesus, the gospel is proclaimed and um, the vulnerable are protected. And it's not just about my little petty, you know, concerns for today, that there are a lot bigger things you're doing in the world. And, and then at the same time, you do care, God, for bread. You do care about the things that I need, and I can bring those to God. And I love that invitation in the Lord's Prayer. I think that really is an invitation to desire, mm -hmm. that it's not like God's like, oh, you know, I hope you only care about, you know, the big <laughs> um, global cosmic concerns that I care about. Actually, God is a God who counts and numbers the hairs on our head. He knows a word before we speak it. He knows our need before we name it. And yet we're still invited to come to him with everything that we need and actually everything that we want. And I think when we come to God in prayer honestly, then we let him sort of do the sorting out, if you will. You know, yeah. what are the desires that are good and, and right and what are the desires that aren't? Yeah, no, I think that's really, thanks so much for sharing that. And I'm as I'm listening to you, it's, you know, we have to remember to look at life through the gospel lens and oftentimes we don't look at life through the gospel lens and as we referred to the culture is anything goes anything that I want and there really isn't a filter or a lens there but through the mm -hmm. gospel lens it's remembering that you know I'm I exist as a follower of Jesus ultimately to bring God glory and that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to meet my desires but is is my desire mm -hmm. for God higher than what my personal needs or desires are and I think a lot of times too we are looking for the exact answer which God that's just not how God operates you know mm -hmm. and, and also it really it really relies on trust like do I trust God one do I trust God enough to even tell him the desires of my heart because his word actually says to tell us tell him the desires of our heart but mm -hmm. but not make our relationship with him or whether God is good or not um, conditional, not make it uh, reliant, relying on the fact of did God come through for this desire or not, and really trusting that, wow, if he didn't meet this desire or if he hasn't met it yet, that just must mean that it's not the best for me and there's something else that is. But that's, I mean, that's what faith is, right? That's this faith journey um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of the, the tension, the tension that we live in with unmet desire, but knowing 
as God's word says, that he withholds no good thing from those who love him Mm -hmm. and that he's for us. Uh, But sometimes Mm -hmm. in the midst of desire, it's uh, we don't always remember that. (laughs) We don't. Yeah, I think unmet desires are some of the is is the biggest challenge in this conversation, you know, because as soon as you say, okay, God's good and okay, I can trust God with my desires. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what do I do with the good desires that I give to a good God? You know, what does that what does that mean, you know? Like I thought I wanted something good and I thought God himself was good and like you said, I mean, you have these great scriptures you were even just referring to, you know, that he doesn't withhold good good from those who love him and and Romans 8 that you know he's already given us his son what good thing would he withhold now um and yet we all live the experience of disappointment um and and I think that yeah that's that's kind of a really critical question and I don't honestly have all the answers because I think we're left with a lot of mystery in scripture I mean if we were to even just look at the story of Job Job doesn't get all the answers that he wants. And he actually, even though he gets a lot of good things at the end, you know, he gets gets a new family. He doesn't get the old ones back, you know. He still has those losses and those griefs to kind of contend with. And I think in some ways I find that actually much more consoling than a complete happily ever after. You know, I think we get, we're going to get a happily ever after as Christians, just not in this life. Yeah, you know, it's it's that it, all the heroes of the faith, like in Hebrews 11, they're always taught to be looking ahead, to desire a better country than they have than they had, and if we had all of our desires fulfilled in this life, would we have a longing for the next one? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And the other thing too that I'm thinking about as we're having this conversation is, you know, sometimes with desires we can for lack of a better word, kind of Christian ease them away and you shouldn't mm-hmm. desire or, you know, well, God, you know, even as I said before, and I believe all those things that I said, he withholds no good thing. And there also is the reality that having unmet desires really stinks sometimes. You know, I've, I'm, yes. I'm 47, single, never married. And I thought for sure that I would be married and have kids. And that has been mm-hmm. an unmet desire for me. And I'm 47 years old. And so, you know, and, and there's been times that it's been more difficult than others. And by God's grace, for for the most part, I've been content. But there's been times where I've just been like, really, God? Like, m- marriage is a good thing. I love you. Mm-hmm. Being married to a, a dude who loves Jesus, man, we could conquer this world together for you. Like, <laughs> why would you hold out? And so, if I'm honest, there's mm-hmm. times where I thought, like, God, how could this not be a good thing? And then God in his mm-hmm. goodness gives me glimmers of why and the you know the mission he has me on now and so it it really I have to pull myself back after following Christ for 20 years I have to pull myself back and say okay Lisa this sucks right now you're really longing you're seeing your friends getting married they're having kids you know you're going home to yourself you know again mm-hmm. I have I have to pull myself back to do you believe God is good and I have to be honest sometimes I'm like no you stink mm-hmm. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know but but for the most part, it's like, yes, God, you are good. And will you give me, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you help me to, you know, be firmly rooted in trusting you and, like, help me help me in my disappointment right now? And he does respond mm-hmm. to that, right? Because he's a very personal and relational God. Absolutely. I was thinking about that story of with Moses, you know, after the golden calf and God, you know, Moses was like, just show me your glory. And, and, and God passes in front of him and he actually shows him his goodness. 
And I think that God longs to show us his goodness, that, that he, he longs to reveal himself to us and his goodness is such a primary quality of his being. And, you know, I think we can just say that when we're in seasons of disappointment, God, I don't, I don't see how this is good. I don't see how you're good, mm -hmm. but help me, you know, open my eyes to see something that I don't see. Help me to see a hidden gift in this disappointment that I, that I can't now, you know, kind of discern and um, and I think he will and I think ultimately he's always pointing us to like you said to the gospel the gospel is the ultimate evidence that God is good that, that God is so good that by his own grace and own initiative he sent his own son to die for us people who didn't deserve it you know and that's what Paul looks toward to, to say, here's how we know God's goodness. He didn't withhold his son. You know, he always sort of was pointing us back to the cross. And I think, you know, it, yeah, we could, we could Christianize that too, you know, but sometimes like I feel like in my own spiritual life, I'm just like relearning the most elemental things. I know. You know, like, okay, the cross, I don't even get that. I don't, you know, that... God loved me so much that he would give me himself, you know, in that way. And if I, and to doubt his goodness, like when I doubt his goodness, I can't, there's some evidence I can look at. And we all have other evidence too, right, Lisa? Like, you know, I think of like the story of Israel, like they're always doubting God's goodness, especially in the wilderness. And God was like, if you had just remembered, you know, mm -hmm. if you just remembered what I've done in Egypt to deliver you. And if you just remembered how I had parted the Red Sea, and if you'd only remembered how I'd given you bread and water from a rock. And so that's a, that's a motivation for all of us to keep our story, isn't it? To keep record of God's goodness in our lives. Because there are seasons where we see it. And this, in the seasons where we don't, if we could look back, um, that would be such, a, such an encouragement to us. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that because the truth is there are some things that I've desired over the last, you know, decades and I'm thinking, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you did not <laughs> give God. me what I wanted at that time. But we seem to have yes. temporary amnesia on that. We, we don't remember the times where God spared our butts and said, aren't you glad that I didn't have you end up with that guy? Or aren't you glad that I didn't, you know, give you what you wanted over here? And there, you know, we have to remember those times too, as well as, as you mentioned, the times that God has come through and not make you know God's goodness hinge on but I God I really want marriage God I really want kids God I really want that job and not not make yeah not make our relationship and his goodness hinge on that one thing that is unmet well what that that leads me to thinking about what would you say about unmet desires how do we how do we deal with unmet desire how do, what what do we what do we do when we have these these longings and desires that they're just not happening mm-hmm I mean, I think we have to be taking them to God in prayer. I think there's, and that sounds so basic, but again, um, sometimes the most elemental things that we forget. And I think sometimes as Christians, like we don't even want to admit our disappointments and we especially don't want to admit our disappointments with God. Like we feel like, oh gosh, that's so irreverent. And I love like, for example, if we were to look at the life of Abraham, you know, when God gave him this promise that he was going to inherit a land and that he was going to be given a son, and then we know there's like so many years of waiting, and Abraham is not ever placid about that. Like he's never, if we can look at these stories early in Genesis, 
where it's not, you know, he goes to God and says, okay, you promised this and you haven't come through. Now, what's the deal with that, God? Mm. And I love the the candor of that kind of prayer. And I think we're invited into that kind of prayer. So sometimes just starting at the place where we really are, God, I'm disappointed about this. God, I thought this was a good desire. I thought you were leading in this direction. And suddenly this door has slammed shut. What are you doing? I can't see anything. And it's in that conversation and in that honesty that that healing is really possible. I I think there's a lot of self-reliance that happens in our spiritual lives. Like, okay, I'm disappointed. Well, I better fix that because God wants me happy and God wants me trusting and God wants me surrendered. Well, God does want me, you know, trusting and surrendered and at peace. But, I mean, he's really the one in charge of my heart, you know, and he can do all of those things. And he can do such a deep work in me that my disappointments can, can really resolve not that all my questions can be answered, but my disappointments can be resolved into a place of very deep trusting in his goodness. But I think that only happens as we come to him honestly in prayer. And I think we also have to say, I think we have to come to that place where we say, would I rather have God or his gifts? Would I rather have the giver or his gifts? And I think that is the lesson for a lot of us in disappointment is that we have we sometimes come to a place where we say, yeah, I realized I might have idolized this thing. You know, I, I really actually wanted it more than I wanted God. And that's not always true in disappointment. I don't think disappointment means that we've always idolized something, but perhaps we have, and that's a question to ask. And sometimes that's a good gift to embrace in disappointment. Okay, God, you know, just, I'm not, you're obviously not giving this thing, whatever it is, but you give me yourself. And I believe that you yourself are sufficient for all that I need. Like we have to believe that the abundant life is found in Christ. And I don't believe that abundance means we get everything we want. I believe that the abundance is found in Christ himself. And sometimes just disappointments can drive us deeper toward that or toward a deeper long experience of that. And I, I mean, I'm going to be the first to say I don't long for God enough. No, I don't. I'm actually reading a book that my pastor handed me called Knowing Christ. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I, like my initial <laughs> thought was like, oh, like knowing Christ, knowing God, like these topics like Tozer, you know, these, um, I hate to say it, but sometimes when like, that sometimes can feel so esoteric, like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as practical as, you know, the things, the questions that face me every day and the longings and the disappointments that I have. And yet, can I begin to believe more deeply that if I knew God and if I knew Christ, that would satisfy the most thirsty places of my soul? You know, I'd like to believe that. And I'm on the journey of believing that. I'm always giving to God. I'm always sort of praying the I believe, help my unbelief prayer. Mm, Yeah. And the, the thing, and I thank you so much for your honesty because I think sometimes that we, when we become followers of Christ, one, no one really says, by the way, it's going to be really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, you know, God is not going to meet all your needs or or all your desires. He'll meet all your needs. But I just think, you know, when, when I came to faith, you know, I wasn't like, okay, I'm signing up for one of the most difficult things and one of those beautiful things in my like entire existence, but one of the most difficult things and that there would be this 
kind of wrestling and and I just I like having this conversation and people listening in on it because I want I want to normalize having desires. I mm-hmm. want to normalize having desires that are unmet. I want to normalize the fact that we get mad at God sometimes and you you know what? God can handle it. I mean, we look at the Psalms mm-hmm. and we see, you know, whenever I whenever I am feeling, you know, um, bad about being angry at God or, you know, just want to emote and not sure, you know, if it's okay to emote. I look to the Psalms and I look at, you know, the Psalms of David and David, I mean, why have you forsaken me? God, you are good. I mean, it's like these, mm-hmm. you know, these emotional roller coasters. So I just, I think it's so important as followers of Christ that we have this conversation honestly, because I think oftentimes we can feel shame for the desires that we have or that kind of the Christian culture can unnecessarily say, you know what, it's bad that you want that. Why are you wanting that? You shouldn't want anything more than God, which is true. And we're also human and God knows that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, like, it's like the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord's, we don't just pray, our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. You know, mm-hmm. no, we have the whole second half of the prayer that is actually very kind of, I don't want to say self-preoccupied, like not in a sinful way, but more, you know, it's its the human concerns of the everyday, you know, our relationships, our vulnerabilities, our needs. And God invites us to entrust that to him. And I think one of the beautiful things about the journey of holy desire, like if we were to just really fully embrace, okay, I am a desiring being, God's given me desires, and that this actually can enrich my relationship with God. It can enrich our relationship with God because um, it's a way that we learn to trust Him. And the way that we learn to become more trusting children with our good Father, you know, like my kids, let me tell you, my kids have absolutely absolutely no problem with desire, no problem (laughs) saying, I cannot believe you made that for dinner. And don't you know, I like X (laughs) and I want this and I need that. And that is part of a childlike relationship with your parents. You don't, you don't, you don't feel bad about it. You don't feel like my kids don't feel bad and guilty. And sometimes they should quite honestly, because I think that they are too self preoccupied and self focused, but even just from a young age, you see how just very simply and sincerely children trust their trust their parents, or they should if it's in a health, if it's a healthy environment. And I think that's that's how desire can enrich our relationship with God. That we say, God, you are the giver of all good things. You sustain my life and my breath every day. I can look to you for everything that I need. Now, and in even I can look to you for everything that I want. Now, in my own humanness, God, I don't know what's best for me, but I'm going to right now just trust you with the desires of my heart. And if they should change, I trust that you're going to change them. If, if I need to be more open-handed and let certain things go, then I want to do that. I mean, there's a dance involved in this. Because, I mean, while on the one hand, like, we have the parable, for example, of the persistent widow She's going to the unjust judge, and by her persistence, wins justice from him. And and basically, Jesus says, you don't have an unjust judge. You have a good father. You know, go to him with the things that you need, the the longings for justice that your heart cries out for. Go to him. Persist with him. And, and, you know, he doesn't have to be begged. Mm. And at the same time, we have Paul who goes to God and says, you know, this thorn in the flesh, take it from me, take it from me. 
And God says, "I'm no, I, we, then we don't have the reason for that, but we do know that Paul was assured, my grace is going to be sufficient for you. Now, what if Paul had said, I've got this thorn in the flesh and it's really bothersome, but you know, I'm going to just buck it up and I'm going to be grateful and I'm going to see all of the positives and the thorn, you know, but instead he actually says, this stinks. God, take this away. And God doesn't, but I think his relationship with God deepens because he goes to him and trusts him. And then he learns something. He learns that God doesn't do everything that we ask, but God always gives sufficient grace. And if we don't go to God with our desires, there are things we're not going to learn about him. There are things that we're not going to learn about ourselves. And there's a deeper trust that we might not reach because we refuse to do that. Yeah. And uh, yes, all having more dependence on God. And that is, that's really the, the, one of the goals of, or the goal of, again, the Christian life is how can I be more dependent on God and not dependent on outside circumstances or other things to bring me more fulfillment, more enrichment and kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, fill in the blank. What, what, let me ask you this. You mentioned um, at one point in, in something, maybe it was in your book or I was reading your blog that wants cannot be ignored Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what happens when we try to ignore our wants because sometimes i've kind of wrestled with okay surrendering my desire but then also shutting part of my heart down because i don't Mm -hmm. want i don't want to feel the pain of an unmet desire and i think there's a distinction there what what would you say what would you say about that yeah, wants cannot be ignored. I think that we think sometimes, like, especially as Christians, well, desire is bad, so I'm going to turn it off. Like, it's a faucet, and I just turn turn it off, you know, and, and desire stops um, running. But actually, it's just a leaky faucet, you know. So how are desires going to come up if we don't identify them or express them? Well, you know, they're going to come up sometimes as complaints and bitterness and resentment. I think, quite honestly, you know, when we have... Like when we want something that we can't even name, but we have a sense that we don't, that there's a lack or that there's a deficit, sometimes it just leaves us with a feeling of bitterness and sometimes towards other people. I, I think, you know, it's funny. Sometimes something will happen. Like you feel sort of stymied about something. Maybe it's a relationship or something. And you realize that you have a desire for something in that relationship that you've not even expressed. You haven't expressed it to God and you haven't expressed it to the other person. So how is it ever supposed to get, how is it ever supposed to change if you don't at least first address what's lacking? Um, So sometimes, I I at least find that in my own self that unexamined, unexpressed desires sometimes surface as bitterness in my relationship. And I actually think there's a biblical example of that I was just even this morning reading out of James where he says you know you want and you don't have so you you know you quarrel and you fight among among each other and I think sometimes that can even happen in communities where um, we don't express our desires clearly or we don't even admit them to one another or to ourselves but we end up feeling we know them deep in our hearts we do know them and it ends up leading to relational tension. Or like you said, it can just be numbness. And I think actually that's one of the worst ways to live. I I just think living numbly in the world, which means that you don't experience the heights of joy and fulfillment and delight and awe and marvel 
and you you know you because you protect yourself from the depths of despair, disappointment, sadness, lack, you know, and desire is right in the midst of all of that. Um, there's so much joy in a satisfied and met desire. And, um, you know, could be something as simple as, I can think about, you know, people that I've prayed for, and this is actually not simple, this is, this is really huge and big, you know, people that you've prayed for to know the Lord. And when you see them turn their lives to Jesus, turn over their lives to Jesus, so you're like, I cannot even believe that happened. That's so amazing. And you feel such the joy of that satisfied desire. You know, to protect yourself from the disappointments means you don't, you don't actually experience the joys either. And I teach a lot. When I teach on this subject at retreats and stuff, a lot of times I talk about 2 Kings 4. There's this this tiny little story that probably a lot of people don't even know, but there's this woman from Shunem, and she is constantly inviting Elisha, the prophet Elisha, into her home. And Elisha wants to thank her for that, and he says to his servant, you know, what should we do to repay this really kind woman for all of her hospitality? And the servant says, you know, well, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is old. And so Elisha goes to the woman and says, you know, this time next year, you will have a son. And she says to Elisha, do not lie to me, man of God. And you just have this sense that like she cannot even entertain that desire. Maybe it's something that she wanted a long time ago and she just faced so much disappointment over it that she's kind of like buried that desire. And then to unearth it and give it life again is just way too painful. And of course, um, <clears throat> she does become pregnant and then the story just turns in this tragic and crazy direction. The son dies. I don't, we don't know exactly how old he is, but he has this kind of heat stroke in the field, and he dies while he's lying in his mother's lap. Mm. And you think, this is just the cruelest story ever. Here's a woman who had maybe put to death a desire, a good desire for a child. Here the, the prophet resurrects it. And she, and she still doesn't want it because it feels so painful. And then, of course, she gets the son, and then the pain of that, you know, desire is just realized because she loses the son. And then, of course, the, the story turns in this incredibly <laughs> impossible direction where the son is resurrected by Elisha. And I think, oh, my gosh, the emotions of all of that story, I think, take us on this journey of where desire can take us, right? We want to numb things that feel too painful to want. And that we want to protect ourselves from loss. This is all, this is very, very human. But what, like at the end of that story, this woman has this incredible experience of the God of Israel. And I don't know, I mean, to be quite honest, standing on the outside, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I have the courage to live all of that, right? right? Right. All of that pain and disappointment and surprise and hope and then loss and then, you know, renewal. I don't know. That feels so intense, but I think that is the journey of knowing God. It's not predictable. It's not um, safe <laughs> by any stretch. I think about like C.S. Lewis who says, you know, Aslan, he's good, but he's not safe. Mm. And I think if we want a safe life with God, um, we should probably not go on this journey of desire. But if we want a, a journey that deepens us into an experience of God's goodness, and our trust of that, then yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a wild ride for sure. It's not gonna go in directions that we always expect.
Yeah, I I would agree with that. And when you're when you're talking, I'm thinking of these kind of two ends two ends of the spectrum where you know we started out talking about how culture says anything goes, anything you want. Of course, you should have it. Why not be happy? Happiness is the you know the goal of life. And then we have this other side of the spectrum where is you know as a follower of Christ, I exist to bring God glory. His word does say um, that he wants to give us the desires of our heart but we need to seek him first because I think I think actually that that verse can be very um, misunderstood as well uh, mm-hmm. that oh really you know God's going to give me any desire of my heart but really the, the key in that verse is that we're we're in God and we're seeking God and he's the one that you know transforms our hearts and 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 creates desires in our heart but I but I see the spectrum of anything goes and I and then this other end of thinking of, you know, I'm living my life to give, you know, God glory and praise and then kind of finding the, the tension in the middle of it. And, and again, as I've talked about a little bit before, too, is there's been times when, you know, you talk about this, this not uh, wanting to feel desire that I've been there. But you can't just cut off part of your heart. If you're like, I'm just not going to desire and want anymore, it doesn't, it, it permeates your whole heart. It can't, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't just compart mentalize that and that Mm. I think that's really the element of control in our humanness too like we want to we want to control those things because as you said we don't want to be disappointed we don't want to be hurt we don't want to feel sadness and pain but like we have to experience the full spectrum of Mm -hmm. emotion we can't just you know again sanction off parts of our heart because that that's not really fully living either and fully living oftentimes is disappointment it is pain but that God does use that for good. We just have to wait long enough. And sometimes we won't even see the side of heaven, right? Why why some desires did not come to fruition. But we don't mm-hmm. we, we live for eternity. We don't just live for this life and you know, and that's you know, that's not just the end of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, Paul says, I, I consider that, you know, the sufferings of this world are gonna they they're not even gonna compare with the glory in the next world. And, and that can feel like pie in the sky hope. I know it sounds like that. And sometimes even in my own heart, I'm like, really? Okay. You know? Um, but I think that's the journey of learning that, you know, when desires are fulfilled, I praise God. And when desires are disappointed, I can still praise God because it leaves me with a longing for the next world, a better world. It also reminds me, I think our disappointments and our sufferings make us more compassionate to others who suffer in the world. That's a role that we are called to play. And I'm, I'm thankful, actually. I mean, I, standing far on the other side of some really difficult situ, you know, situations of grief in my life, like being able to say, you know, I'm thankful for some of those seasons of suffering because of the way that it, it sort of enables me to comfort others in the world. I mean, there are good things that we even experience in the in the disappointments and of course sometimes it takes time to do that and I and I don't think that's something that we have to again just sort of like rally our strength to you know get ourselves there again it's just all about this journey of honesty with God praying honestly and letting him kind of do the work in our hearts that is necessary to be done a lot of times I, I, I know that in my heart, but I pray the things I think God wants to hear instead of praying the things I really feel and hmm. believe. Interesting. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes, again, if I'm feeling, um, I don't know, 
sometimes it's just that I'm feeling wearied. I think at this particular season of my life, you know, it's that, oh my goodness, there, there was a huge project at church that I just finished. I have an, a writing deadline at the end of the month. We've moved, you know. I feel wearied, and sometimes my impulse is to just say, well, I just got to buck up, and, you know, God wants me to just keep working hard, and instead of, like, fleeing to him for strength, you know, and just saying, this is how I really feel, God. Like, I kind of feel like I've given a lot, and I just feel exhausted, and um, I need your your help. I, it sounds so silly, but I forget to sometimes just be vulnerable with God, just to be, like, needy, you know? I think my impulse with others and also with God is just to not need, to self-rely. And sometimes that invitation is just is just as simple as fly to me when you need help. And I was, I think even just last week in my Bible reading, I was reading a psalm and like every third verse was just like, help me, God, help me, God. And I've been reading a new translation, so I think it stuck out to me a little bit more because it was that very simple phrase, you know, help me God. And I thought, oh, that's so simple. But again, something so true that I need to return to is that I don't get my act cleaned up and then come to prayer. I come to prayer like all, you know, um, kind of in shambles, if you will. Sometimes I'm in moral shambles. You know, sometimes I'm just in physical shambles or emotional shambles. And I think it's, I, I fear in my humanness that God doesn't want that part of, doesn't want mm-hmm. that version of me, mm-hmm. that he wants kind of the gussied up version. But then like the Holy Spirit in his gentle, it gently invites me to bring that, that self to God. And, and I feel like that's sometimes the most beautiful kind of moments of prayer when I'm like, well, you know. I don't even know what to say. Sometimes I don't even know what to want. Sometimes I don't I don't even have the words to articulate the disappointment. But just even the act of saying, well, I, I don't even know that, God. I don't even know that much. I don't even know what to say. Right. But here I am. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is a good note to end on. And again, I think it just reminds us to be authentic before God, that we don't have to have our ourselves all gussied up as you say I haven't used that word in a long time (laughs) that that God is not looking for the gussied up version of us he's looking for the honest version of us and that you know it's come to me all who are weak and weary I mean that and you know he he wants us to continue to rely on him to be honest with him so if we're afraid to be honest that is that is a lie God wants us to be honest and by the way newsflash he already knows what we were thinking before we did anyway right Mm -hmm. (laughs) well if there were one last nugget of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners as it relates to wisdom or a piece of encouragement what would you say I think my encouragement would be that the gospel promises that we will be renewed and and resurrected in Christ in newness of life and I also think that's newness of desire I think a lot of times in my spiritual life, I recognize like how many things I don't want that God wants, you know, or how little I long for the things he longs for in the world, you know, and I, I can myself get really discouraged by that. Like, oh, why do I fall so short of, you know, becoming who God wants me to be? And I feel like, no, the gospel promises that he's going to put a new heart in his people. He's going to put a spirit, his spirit in us. He's done that. He's writing his laws on our hearts and on, on our minds. And so 
when we are baptized into Christ, we're resurrected to newness of life, newness of desire, which means that like those desires that we all struggle with, sometimes persistent desires for things that God doesn't want or we don't want the things that God wants for us. I think he's doing that work and he's not um, despairing about the slowness of our transformation. And that feels like a really encouraging word to me. Mm -hmm. I hope to others. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jen, thank you so much for the way that you love and follow Jesus and just such a, a gift in this book and the second book you have about home. But I think you might have a third book that's percolating. Am I right about that? You are right about that. Yes, I'm working on actually the, some themes of mystery in Scripture. So you've heard me talk about that a little bit in this conversation. It's the sense that like, you know, following Christ doesn't always give us easy answers. And I, I think that's really hopeful, actually. Okay, well, I can't wait to read that one. You're a brilliant writer, a great speaker, just so authentic in the way that you share. So grateful for the time that you have spent with our listeners today. And hey, guys, thanks for tuning in. It's always great to hang out with you. And we want to invite you to following conversations because, again, this podcast, as I mentioned earlier, we want to just inform you, but not only inform you, cause you to, to make a change, to be compelled to take action based on some of the things that we talk about on this show. So please listen and keep listening and pass these podcasts on to friends, and especially this one, if you know a friend that is struggling with desire and struggling with want. Help a friend out. Send it her way and help her to be encouraged. Well, we love you guys, and we will see you next time. 